When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X.com. going thanks for uh, watching this whenever you're watching it if you're watching it and this is kind of the first thing i've ever uh, done kind of solo in terms of schmodown content so something i've kind of want to do for a little bit but uh never quite uh figured out what i wanted to do how i wanted to do it or when i wanted to do it and uh, but I did know that I wanted it to be stat heavy stat centric, and so that's basically what's going to happen here. Is uh, if you saw uh, the little uh, slide beforehand, if you will, uh, we're just talking about the history of the singles division ultimate Schmodown tournament. Now that kicked off everything in 2014, right? So. Uh, and then that gave way to the 2015 teams tournament, and then we got to Collider, and you know, fast forward three years later, almost four years later now, and it's as big. It's as big as a thing that I don't think a lot of us could have ever dreamt of. I'm sure Christian would tell you this was his grand master plan and all that, and it's coming to fruition. He's still got a ways to go, but to think that in 2014 that tournament was a 16-player tournament. And a lot of a lot of crazy characters, a lot of crazy matches, uh, some wild wild guessing by the wild man Josh Makuga. There's an infamous uh, moment between him, uh, Makuga, and Harloff. You know, uh, he, uh, the Blue Fairy incident, which really had nothing to do with Makuga, but nonetheless he was in that match. And then obviously there's the, the Matthew Broderick moment, which is very somewhat. Uh, controversial. Uh, I see uh, Leo Logan and Brian Nussbaum. Thanks for uh, jumping in here. Uh, glad to have you. Um, so today, if uh, which is the 19th, you see the date there, uh, today 
is uh, the day we dropped, TriviaSD dropped the bracket for this year's tournament, which is going to have 16 people. We're still trying to figure out who that last person is, or the last two people are going to be between Snyder, Kalinowski, and Bateman. Now they're kind of in a little uh, mini tournament, if you will, to get into the tournament. And later this week, we're going to find out a little bit more as to the conclusion of this between Ben Bateman and Mike Kalinowski. They're going to play for a, a spot to take on Jeff Snyder, and then whoever wins in the Snyder Bateman slash Kalinowski match, they go on to face Paul uh, next week. Is it next week now? Uh, in New York for the title at the live event. And however, the... Uh, so it's going to be it's interesting to see how we fill out. I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the 2018 tournament a little bit. That's going to be a rundown thing with myself and Brad. We'll go. We'll do a whole full tournament breakdown but i gotta say kind of the impetus for doing this tonight was the fact that I, we've had a few tournaments now and i'm kind of looking at the numbers and see if there's any kind of patterns in terms of how do players play uh, in uh, like second rounds do they spin more do they take more chances are they going to multiple choice more uh what are players mindsets when they're in a tournament mode um, I'm kind of I'm starting to research a piece for TriviaSD.com in terms of do players who enter the tournament uh, in their matches, if their accuracy is higher than their opponents coming into the match, how often do they win? And I kind of just did some brief uh, research on it, and I'll go way more in depth with it for the for the piece I'm doing for TriviaSD. But in 2017, a 16-player tournament, the the player with the higher accuracy heading into that match, uh, they only won six of the 17 tournament matches. So that was a six and nine record. So more often than not, the player going into that match with the lower accuracy rate, law or I'm sorry, won. They won their match. And in 2018, as a little bit of a sh smaller field, it was you know we had seven solidified, and then there was that gauntlet. If you remember with Janine Bateman and Lon Harris and all that, and Makuga. Uh, so it's more or less kind of an eleven-person tournament. Nonetheless, uh, this is a different era of the game, and I think in 2017, the game was evolving, and in 2018 we saw kind of how it all finally was coming together in 2018 because those numbers for winners and losers of the higher accuracy rate, you had uh, the higher accuracy, accurate player, they won eight of those 11 matches. So it was an eight and three record. So if you were accurate going into that match, if your accuracy was a higher than your opponents, looks like you were going to win. And that's what happened, you know, in the semifinal, in that third place match, and in the final of that tournament, uh, the higher accurate player going into that match won the match. Now, I don't know how that's going to bear out for this year's tournament, but I was curious to see if there's any kind of pattern. Uh, but before we get into 2019 stuff, uh, I want to talk about that 2014 tournament because, as I said up top, you know, it's the it's the thing that kicked it all off. 
And as I pull up what kind of my, my stats here, uh, Riley, obviously, was the winner of that tournament, the first uh, singles division champion. And he won that tournament. He won four in a row. He had two knockouts. Uh, they came early against Alicia Malone and Gray Drake. Um, throughout the entire tournament, he was averaging, his accuracy rate was 72%, uh, just about 72.5%. He was 5 for 7 in steals, and he racked up 34 points. Now, obviously, we have to remember it was a different format. You know, there's, you know, you in your first round, you were asked 3, then your opponent was asked 3, and then you were asked 3, and then they were asked 3, and that was round 1. Round 2 is fairly similar, except they were drawing categories out of a head and you could get Van Damme or you could get mob movies. So very different categories as well. Um, but nonetheless, uh, those two rounds that were stayed have stayed similar throughout the, the history of the showdown. It's that final round, the jeopardy round, which, uh, I think was kind of screwed some people over. Namely, uh, you have to look at, the JTE Mark Ellis match. When we look at that match specifically, and let's also real quick let's remember that JTE and Christian Rubalcaba, that's the very first match. So if you're wondering, if you ever wondered if that match counted towards stats, counted towards JTE's win, and it counted towards Christian Rubalcaba's loss, yes, that would be correct. So in essence, JTE, he... He went on a four-game win streak as well. When he then he got to the title, so uh, that's how we got to. Is that right? Am I reading that right? Right. Let me see here. Well, JT he played he played three matches rather um, when he only played two. Well, no, he played three in the tournament. He played one outside, so he went on a three-game win streak rather. There we go. And then he ended up losing that. F- uh, the semifinal to to Mark Riley, but when you look at JTE and and Mark Ellis, uh, this was a a pretty good. I mean, JTE who only got three in that first round. Ellis obviously perfect six for six in the second round. JTE he spun nineties and Rocky, and at that point, the second round questions were worth one point so he goes four for four for four points mark ellis he lands on alien movies now when's the last time in today's showdown you saw the alien category i can't remember i think it's more akin to monster movies but nonetheless this was alien and obviously christian or i'm sorry mark ellis he went four for four so now he's got 10 points jte's got seven we get to that betting round though it's very similar that we have today but in 2014 in case in case you haven't seen it or you can't remember you don't remember you could wager any amount of the points that you've earned up to that point so jte ended up wagering everything he wagered all seven points because he was down by three and he figured mark ellis would bet logically so that he could neither you know just straight up lose unless he missed the question and, and then that would have been different or he would have just tied so but what mark ellis said he's only bet one point and the category was coming of age was more of a i have my, my notes was more of a drama question um but they both got it right 
they both got it right. So JT earns seven. He's got fourteen total, but Ellis only bet one, so he so he only gets eleven total points, and JTE wins. What's crazy is because this is the very first. I mean, we always been look. We've always been trying to find who's going to be that first player to have an a hundred percent accurate game and uh, and earn a hundred percent of their possible points. No one has done the latter part, earn a hundred percent of their points. You know, you look at. Uh, Rachel Cushing, uh, Dan Merle. I mean, these are players that have gone a hundred percent accurate, but they not, but they did not earn their max available points to them, either because they went to multiple choice in the second round, and that's usually uh, what happens. I will say, quick note on in terms of uh, championship matches when that third round is a betting round, the way. I keep track of that, and this is, you know, I don't think, I'm not the final say on it, but this is the way I've just been doing it. Uh, If that player only wagers two points and not the three points, and they get it right, and then let's say, you know, they've been perfect, 100% perfect in everything up to that point, I'm not going to say they don't have a perfect, a complete perfect match, because they didn't bet the three only bet two because to me it's more of a a strategic move betting two or three or one points and it really has no bearing on the difficulty level of the question per se if you if you if you get what i'm saying so i'm not going to penalize a player for not going three points um and then like they end up with a 100% accurate match, and they earned all their available points now. I understand the argument against that, but uh, I think when in that in that round, when it's more of a strategic decision, uh, I'm not really going to hold it against the player if they didn't bet three, and then they end up getting everything else correct for the max points. Even the same thing in the speed round. If they don't answer all five speed round questions, let's say... They get four, and then their opponent gets one. I'm not going to hold hold it against them that they couldn't answer for that one other point. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Uh, so that's how I look at it. I don't know how, how you guys out there look at it, but that's how I do. Uh, and again, I, understand, I can understand the arguments uh, on the other side of mine. Um, but finishing up this LSJTE match, you know, it was a huge, it was a huge deal. And if you have not watched that match recently, or if you've never watched it, go find it. JTE versus Mark Ellis. It is an absolute classic, classic match. Uh, and then from that spawned the trial of JTE, which is another iconic moment in Schmodown history. Uh, again, so if you haven't seen any of that stuff, go, go watch that. You know, right now you can leave here actually and just go watch it right now. It's that good. Um, and then JTE would go on to face Riley, and then Riley had another great, great match here. And this is interesting about um, how 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 very kind of um, put. I mean, like mishmashed kind of games these were back then. You know, when I was putting all these stats together, this third round really just didn't make any sense to include in the stats because 99% of the time, 
the match had already been decided. There was nothing here um, that was really going to alter anything. Because if you had enough points, I mean, JTE was literally in the same scenario scenario he was in against uh, Ellis. Riley, for the first two rounds, he got all of his first round points. He's got all of his second round points. But he missed the final, the, the betting round question. And so did JTE. So what I did was I end up not including the points wagered in terms of their points available, but I did include the questions asked. So everyone who got a wager round question right, that's included in their actual question total, just not the points that they wager, just because it was very uneven, obviously, because... I think there's only one match that had where both players had the same amount of points. I think that was a Ken Napsok, Kitty Sackoff match, I think. Um, so there's certain things that I kind of had to do to, to make things make sense in a statistical manner. Um, so that was kind of challenging at first, but then once I got through it, I was like, I'll never mess with this again. So, um, but then I was, and then after the other semifinal match was Harloff and Makuga. And again, that was another infamous match and, and one that Harloff should have won. He should have won. Um, but it was a competitive match. I get, it was a competitive match and it, it was, you know, Blue Fairy, it was Matthew Browder, all that kind of stuff. It was just, it was a great match. And then, the final was between Mark Riley and Josh McCuga. Now, the reason I started keeping stats, and I believe when I first discovered the Schmoes No and then the Ultimate Schmodown, uh, I was watching him and having fun. But then, you know, once McCuga beat Harloff, I go, is he really that good? So I went back from the start of the tournament, and I started keeping track of people's questions and answers uh, with, you know, the percentage, their accuracy. And it was really because I wanted to know how good Makuga really was. He's in the final, but he do it doesn't didn't feel like to me he should be in the final. It should have been Makuga, you know, or I'm sorry, Harloff. And I went back, and that's how I just started keeping track of everyone's numbers and then eventually I expanded you know to steals and I expanded it beyond that eventually with when the newer seasons came out but Makuga's accuracy rate in that 2014 tournament the runner-up was and he answered 60 percent of his questions and he was three for six in steals Mark Riley the winner four and no he answered 72 percent was five of seven in steals so a night and day difference between the winner of the 2014 tournament and the runner-up of the 2014 tournament. Now, I thought Harloff probably should have beat Makuga, right? Should have been in that title match because I thought Harloff was playing really well. Well, when I looked at the numbers through his three matches, Harloff was only answering 57.5%. Not that great. You know, Mark Ellis, had he been able to advance past JTE, I think, you know, that would have been the matchup between Riley and Ellis. Because through two matches, Ellis obviously had the 100% game. He had a really good debuting match. Um, 
and he was answering 72%. That's the second highest rate for that 2014 tournament. So if you know anything about the current state of the players in terms of accuracy, you know that 72% is not good enough these days. Not at all. When you have players like Ethan Irwin, Dan Merle, the retiring Rachel Cushing, you have William Bibiani, they're all in the high 70s and even 80s. I think Ethan Irwin, Paul Oyama, even he's in the 80s. There's like three or four players that are in the 80s. I think Rachel's one of them. I think Dan's like at 79%. But um, today, the and this just goes to show you the advancement of the level of play from 2014 to now. And I don't, I don't know if if people really comprehend the massive jump in level of play. I think they understand that it's very competitive now, and and players study all the time, and it's intense. But man, let me tell you, the play, the the average in the twenty fourteen tournament was fifty four percent. You had to barely answer a half your questions to be competitive in 2014 okay so enough about that mark riley he's four and oh he had two knockouts like i said you know but he was playing pretty well he earned 71 percent of his points and even in by today's standards that's going to put you in good position to go and grab a belt um doesn't necessarily mean you can grab it but it'll put you in a good enough position uh to where you can at least somewhat contend all right so that's 2014 now to the 20 we didn't have one in 2015. That was a teams. I'll probably maybe I might do another one of these for teams. Uh, but now we get into 2016. We're at Collider, and the game is progressing. But this tournament was basically cut in half. It's only eight people. It's a shorter tournament, but it was very very compelling. And the top most accurate player in that tournament was none other than John. Roka, he was answering, I'm sorry, well, it was Harlov, he was answering 85%, Roka was answering 83%, and he did play one more match, obviously, than Harlov, because Roka went to the finals against Mark Ellis. Now, Mark Ellis had a lot to, to I guess, avenge or prove due to the fact that he lost on a basically perfect perfect accurate match uh, to JTE but he you know he went 3 and 0 in that tournament to win the tournament to go take on Dan Merlin spectacular we all know this um but the really classic match out of that one was Harloff and and Rokano again th- that has been one of my favorite matches of all time it's it's still a top 5 overall match for me i don't think it'll ever leave my top five, because this is when I knew personally that I was really, really invested in the Schmodown. Now, at this time, I wasn't even doing the rundown yet. I don't believe I was. Um, I think it was right after this we started, actually, uh, the rundown. And I had picked John Roca to win this match. So I'll... I was pretty invested in the outcome, and you know, beforehand, um, Clark Wolf and and Makuga would then later on play, and then that would. What happened was, I had a perfect bracket, 
for the 2016 tournament until Makuga beat Clark Wolf. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. This Roka Harloff match was the one that I thought that this could win me the bracket challenge or whatever it was thing kind of going on. This could really, you know, if I get this one, I think the rest of my picks are solid and I'm going to win this. I could have a perfect bracket. That'd be really cool. And Roka ended up pulling it out at the end. And I remember audibly cheering. I was just like, yes. I mean, I did like a fist pump. It was, you know. And that's when I knew how much I loved this game. Um, that I was on the edge of my seat. And, and, and Roka was able to pull out the victory. To basically keep my bracket, at least for one more week, uh, perfect. And I thought after that I was going to sail and have a perfect bracket. Because aside from the Josh, uh, Josh McCougal-Clark Wolf match, I did have a perfect bracket. But that's not what we're here. Um, what's interesting about the the Clark Wolf-Josh McCougal match is that, you know, in her, her three-pointer, she got that question about Guardians of the Galaxy. Name all five Guardians, right? And she couldn't come up with it, so it cost her three points. But she got her five-pointer. And that ultimately cost her the match because in every way, she beat Makuga. Um, she outscored him five to three. Again, this is a rematch, too, because this her debut match was against Makuga. Now they're in the tournament. But she outscored Makuga five to three. In the second round... She did get outscored by Makuga 6-4. Clark Wolf had 80s. Josh Makuga had drama. Crazy to think that Makuga would outscore Clark by by two points. You know, it may be tied, but what, whatever the case may be. And then here comes that final round, and it just didn't go her way with the, that, that Guardians of the Galaxy question. But she answered 10 of her 14 questions asked to her. Makuga at answered 8 of 15. So barely over 50%. Clark Wolf answered 71% of her points. But Makuga wins wins the match because he got his three-pointer. And that was a tough pill to swallow. That was one of two tough defeats Clark Wolf would face in the tournament. So it... it it was tough to stomach that one because, like I said, if if Clark Wolf had just won that match, I would have had a perfect brag because I did pick Ellis over uh, Clark Wolf in that tournament. Um, but we all know Ellis ended up playing Makuga, and Ellis won by two points, sixteen to fourteen, in the semifinal. Now the final for the twenty sixteen tournament was the first time. Not the first time that we had a five-round match, but for the tournament, this was kind of not going to be the standard because the 2014 tournament didn't have any elongated rounds or whatever. This one did. This was a five-rounder, and it, it, it's a great match between Roka and Ellis. And Ellis didn't actually outperform Roka accuracy-wise. Ellis answered 11 of 18, Roka 12 of 18. Again, it was this match was decided on the five-pointer, and that becomes a theme throughout the entire history of this one. you got to know your five-pointers, you got to know your three-pointers. Which interesting about Ellis's case, he didn't know his, at the time, as a one-pointer. He also didn't know his three-pointer. Roka knew his one and his three, just did not know his five-pointer. 
And so while you out-answered your opponent, you still lost. This is... This starts to... Um, become somewhat of a, I think, rare occurrence where you can underperform but still come out on top because that five-pointer and three-pointer sometimes, but most of the times they have five-pointer that can swing the match. I mean, because this is a prime example here. You can get your first two questions right in that final round, and your opponent can miss them, but if they hit that five-pointer and you don't, that's it. You know, all that work you did to gain a lead up to that point is gone like that. And that's something that's hard, at least for me, to grasp in terms of, is that player better or is that player better? Because I look at, well, Roka answered one more question correct. They had the same amount of questions, but Roka answered one more right than Ellis. Who's the better player? Well, then, now the argument has become, well, there are better... Jeez. Sorry, microphone. Sorry. Uh, the argument becomes, who's the better player and who knows more? Which I do... This has kind of gone off a tangent now, but I do find it interesting that the argument is, oh, it's not about who knows the most. It's how you play the game. Sure, you gotta know your stuff, but who plays the game better? I find this interesting because... As of late, maybe this past year, year and a half, we always start. We, we always hear about, oh, well, Ben Bateman's put it in the work. He's really studying hard. Cal and Alice, you, you wouldn't believe the size of his binder. Kevin Smets, I mean, he he's crazy with his studying. Um, Rachel Cushing's just got a binder. Um, Janine or whoever, you know, Brandon. I mean, a lot of it's coming from inner geekdom that you hear about. But, but you, remember, Sam Levine, he went through... Uh, picture was a weak point for him or animated and he just dedicated a whole swath of time to kind of rectify that weakness and we always hear these stories about players putting in the work studying and then we go well it's really about how well you play the game so to me the arguments there get a little muddled um, so it's interesting I don't know it's I don't know what you guys think about that we, we praise players who study hard and take the game serious. But then when they don't lose, we go, well, they're not that good of a player. They don't know how to play the game. They had bad strategy. So I, I've been trying, I've, I've been wrestling with that for a little while now because that was kind of the deal with, with, with Cushing and it's kind of the deal with some other players that they're really smart, like Bibbs or even Ethan Irwin to an extent. He's actually, Ethan Irwin is one of those rare cases where he's actually so good that strategy just doesn't really matter because he's just going to answer everything. So your strategy is out the window. But for other players who are very knowledgeable, you know, the knock is, well, they're not good players because they don't know how to play, you know, they're not as good as playing the game. They're not as quick on the buzzer, you know, or they're not as, I guess, lucky in terms of betting three versus two points, you know. So I don't know. It's a thing I wrestle with. I don't know about you guys when you, when you hear that kind of argument. They know a lot of their stuff, but they're not as good at playing the game. I don't know. This is a movie trivia schmodown, not movie playing schmodown. I don't know. So that's neither here nor there, but 
kind of a weird tangent. But that 2016 tournament, let's get back on track here, well, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's really great matches. I should note, actually, in that uh, 2016 matchup between Harloff and Roka, Fred Prince Jr. was on the desk, and that was great. Uh, what a match for him to see, really, and call, actually. One of the great matches. That's actually the first time we saw Roka with the blindfold, I've, I believe, right? So, um, it was great. And so, the 2016 really showed you the drama that's involved in the Schmodown as a whole, but really, when it comes to tournament time, Man, there's there's really nothing like it because there's a lot on the line. It's, you know, you lose, you're, you're done. That's it. You're done. Go home. You know, that's it. So let's move over to this uh, 2017 tournament. Now, this, we, we go back to a 16-player tournament like we had in 2014. Now, that was very exciting. I remember actually when, you know, doing the rundown. This was, I think it was running in tandem with the teams, but nonetheless, there was like four matches in a week. We were covering on the rundown, and it was insanity covering all this stuff. It just, it was a lot. I mean, we I think we were recording like two or three episodes a week, and they're all like, well, like an hour each. Um, but I mean, it was it was a crazy it was a crazy time, and it was a, and it was a lot to go through. Um, but it was great because we ended up seeing you know an, a, a spectacular run be, with Sam Levine, and this is. You know, in a lot of his Sam Levine's matches, he was the the less accurate player, but he came out on top every single time and won the tournament. Um, and and it was just it's kind of a crazy thing because there's other players who were super accurate who did not come out on top. Now, if you look at the Clark Wolf Rian Chandler match, uh, that one sticks out in terms of performing and performing well performing better than your opponent and not coming out on top in that match you know it, it was a tight match to begin it's really a tight match throughout but once again a three-pointer for clark wolf better in the end you know she did not get her three-pointer she got her two and her five brianne went perfect in in her final three she got her two and her three and her five and she ended up winning 20 to 18 the clark wolf performed very well but that as well as Brianna was another heartbreaking loss, and you just think, you know, this player outside of the tournament is really good. What is it about here that in a tournament setting that it just doesn't work out? And when you look, actually, I need to bring this up because it's interesting to note how aggressive or conservative players are when it comes to the second round, specifically in in tournaments. Now, I have the numbers if my computer would just speed up a little bit. I can pull up this number. Um, now, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is, do players spin more or spin less in the second round, right? And when you look at the tournament... Stalling, stalling, blah, 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 here we go. Um, players stay with their category in the tournament... 53% of their time, of the time. Now, when you look at regular season play, there's a lot more matches than those tournament matches, but regular season play, it's shocking to think that players stay even more. They, they stay about 2% more uh, with their first spin, 55%. So, 
and I and I wish I actually had season by season uh, tallies in terms of let's see are players getting more aggressive or more conservative in their second round spins are they really paying attention to the wheel and seeing what's on there with what they like but really I can tell you from kind of tracking this one for a vast majority of it it's been very very close There's, it's never been you know players are spinning sixty percent of the time I've never seen it it's always been under. That sixty percent. It's. I don't think it's really been as high as fifty-five percent in either direction, to tell you the truth, which is interesting. Um, so, you know, you try to look for little little uh, patterns, you know, something like that to kind of hold on to see what what are, what what are players' mindsets. And really, it's really not that much different in tournament mode, um, which is which is which is curious. Um, but some other numbers in terms of tournament play compared to regular season play, the the player that wins, that outscores their opponent in the first round, they have gone on to win the match 65% of the time in tournament play. When you look at regular season play, that number drops all the way down to 56%. So... What does that tell you? Basically, is tournament time. You really, you really are putting the best of the best against each other. And when that better player has a lead, they rarely relinquish it, which is interesting because that has no bearing. That does not even indicate if they're the more accurate player or not of the two. It just tells you that if someone has momentum early on, right off that first first round. 65% of the time, they hold on for a win. And when you look at uh, when the the winner of the match outscores their opponent in the second round, that's a 60, that jumps as, oh, 69%. And it's a little bit higher, actually, in, in, in teams as well. Or, I'm sorry, in uh, regular season as well. It's 66%. So very close there. That If, if you outscore your opponent in that second round, odds are you, you're going to hold on for that victory because there's only been... Uh, let's see here, 27 plus 4, we got 31, 31 losses, so that's basically 31 comebacks, if you're trailing going to the, into the final round, that's 31 comebacks out of, uh, like, almost 200 singles matches combined with, with regular season and tournament, almost, we're almost at 200 matches, which is pretty crazy, so, um, you know, as much as you try, that's the thing about the Schmodown. And I learned, I figured this out early on in recording stats. Is these this is not a predictor by any stretch of the imagination. It's very hard to even compare players, you know, one to one because there's so many variables in the showdown. That wheel for one, you know, you don't. There's no. It's not like football or baseball where the field's always the same size. You know, the ball is always the same size. There's other variables, but for the most part, the staples of that sport stay the same. Schmodown, you always have different questions every single time. Sure, the round format's the same, but the wheel's always different. There's always different categories. There's a lot more variables going on there that just make it really hard to compare and or predict. I mean, stats in general for sports aren't really there to predict, in my opinion, even though some you know, believe in like sabermetrics and all that stuff. And I think you know that can bear out in a sense, but at least for the Schmodown... No way. Because if you look at numbers for, let's say, someone 
brought up. Uh, let's see here. Leo says Stacy over Allison Schwedown. Um, yeah, the numbers just wouldn't predict that ever, and but that's what happened. She beat him. So uh, tournament time is also. I think it's hard to it's hard to figure out you know a pressure situation for an individual player because some of these players you know yes they may be you know performing in that kind of space others may be like Rachel Cushing where they're not from that space um, they're not in front of the camera so and how do they handle it you know it's interesting as we're getting through uh, this 2017 matchup you know. We had the Snyder JTE match, which you know was a Patriots uh, head-to-head, and I think it was a match a lot of people wanted to see. And I think a lot of people were picking Jeff Snyder. Why? Because he seemed better of the two, and when you look at it, he had a better accuracy rate than JTE. But JTE, he won. He played way above his career average. His career average at that point was sixty-three percent. In the match, he answered 81%, a massive jump. And Snyder, he was only at 69%, and he answered 75%. So not that big of a difference between his his lifetime career and his match uh, percentage. But it, it just comes down to, you know, whether or not you know your three or your five, because Snyder misses three, JTE knew his three and his five. Snyder knew his five, too. And it's just, it's crazy because all that work you do in first round and second round just can go right out the window. Right out the window. It's interesting. Now, when we look at the tournament as a whole, and you look at who performed the best, I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, Roke only played in two matches, but he answered 76%. And you have Clark Wolf, you know, she played one match, she answered 69%. But Rachel Cushing, she played three matches. You know, lost in that semifinal to Sam Levine. It was a heartbreaker of a match for her, um, but a very well-earned match from Sam Levine, uh, who, by the way, in that tournament, only answered 71% of his questions in the tournament. He His, his accuracy rate was lower than Mark Riley's 2014 tournament rate. And we have... Better competition, better players. That players, some of them are the same, but they're playing better. And yet, Sam Levine goes four and zero, answering 71 percent. He wins the title. So, but going into his final matches, he had the better accuracy rate of his opponents. Players like Rachel Cushing, you know, super high accuracy rate lost you know jeff snyder in two matches he answered 80 percent. he was gone he wasn't there at the end but it was sam levine who was answering 71 percent in that tournament final jt he was answering 72 percent so it's it's again there's no way to predict this kind of stuff and it's and it's very interesting it's very interesting because Schwedon's always evolving, and I wish I could figure out how to predict, not 100%, obviously, but on a more a consistent, maybe I would I would settle for like 60% accuracy in terms of predictions. I really would. I think I'm only like 50%. If you just went by the stats, I think you'd be like 50%. I mean, in the past, 
right? We get in the past two tournaments. You're looking at, let's see here, we got six and eight as well. This is 14, and what, nine and three is 12. So, past two tournaments, the higher accurate player heading into the match is only 14 and 12. Like, so when you look at, and let me just real quick just look over this 2018 tournament. Um, McWeeny in one match, you know, he had that classic match against JTE that went to sudden death. Um, let me take a look. How many rounds did that go? Where is it at here? Da, 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 da. Do not say, oh no, this wasn't that one. That was in the, that was the 2017 match. But McWeeny, oh, he played Andraco. Um, this was a match where even even in this match, actually, Andreka was considered the favorite, and McWeeny was answering 71%. Andreka came into this match answering 69%. And Andreka won. He, he was on this great streak. Um, and obviously, but he, I mean, he would lose to Clark Wolf and then lose to Dan Merle, but he was playing really well, but he was always kind of the less accurate player, especially when he faced against um, Dan Merle, and he was just about even with Clark Wolf. Um, he was just, uh, actually, Clark entered that 70.59, and Drake was 70.21. Virtually the same, but with math being the way that it is, Clark Wolf was actually the accurate player. So, and this is also really Ethan Irwin kind of saying, I'm the more accurate player and I'm going to win. This is kind of where the strategy just goes out the window. Because Ethan Irwin was one of these players that just didn't need to spin twice. Against Chance Ellison, just once, he took with Spy. Um, even against uh, Dan Merle, he ended up on Drama. And then against Clark Wolf, he did spin twice, actually. Look at that. He went 90s and then went Drew Barrymore. And in Drew Barrymore, he actually went... Two for four for only four points. That was a heartbreaker. We, I think we talked about that actually recently on on the rundown. Clark missing the south side with you, south side with me, all that. Not good. But in that in that tournament, you know, Ethan Irwin was the better player. I mean, he answered at 80%. It's the best percentage to, to win a tournament. I'm curious to see what the 2019, this year's tournament, is going to bear out in terms of what the the champion, you know, what their accuracy rate's going to be. Because if I had to guess, it's going to be probably somewhere around 75%, if I was going to try and predict that. Because even in three matches, Dan Merrill was answering 82%. But he got TKO'd by Ethan Irwin. So your luck can swing dramatically uh, from match to match. But outside of that, when you look at you know, Clark Wolf's play, the runner-up there, she was answering 72%. Had she been in, you know, the 2014, had she gotten a little bit farther in the 2017 tournament, she very well could have found herself in that final match. Because that seems to be what's all that it takes is 72%, because what it really takes is, do you know your three, you know your five. It's, especially at this tournament level, um... And the thing about getting deeper into tournaments, the accuracy rate between players, at least for the winner, seems to really peak around that first round. 
um, you know, 2018 had that kind of that gauntlet, but then the quote unquote true first round of the tournament, you know, the winners were averaging 88 percent uh, in that 2017 tournament in round one. The players were averaging 76 percent, and then kind of actually plateaued about 78 percent between the between the second round and the semifinal. It's two percent better, but not much of a jump. In that final, uh, both players were under 70%, and that would be San Levine and JTE, which makes sense because they were only averaging about 70%. So you're not getting, like, super accurate play, but you're just getting tight matches because when they get to that point, they're always around 70%. So, But then we get infused in the league with the likes of Paul Oyama, Ethan Irwin, even Chance Allison, who's having actually a pretty good low-key year. I know he gets overshadowed a lot by Kalinowski at this point and in their team run. But he's actually, I mean, yes, he lost to Paul, but he's actually outperforming Paul, even in the, especially in the first round, which is a, a very interesting observation that one, would, one wouldn't assume, I guess. Um, but let's talk about this year's tournament. Um, 2019, and we still don't know who Janine's going to play specifically, or Liz Shannon Miller. Um, interesting match between Lon Harris and Paul Preston because, again, that's a rematch. Paul did outplay Lon and lost. Um, Roca has a history of getting out of the first round, but Silvestrini is a different situation. Um, new, hungry, Roca, different kind of Roca. You never know. The Chance Allison William Bibiani match. Now, if we're gonna go, let's let's do a little uh, accuracy comparison. Now, Chance, according to my numbers, through four matches this year, he's answering just about eighty-two percent. Now, Bibiani's lifetime number is at seventy-seven percent. So, if we go by kind of like last year's. Um, theme of players with lower accuracy, you know, they lost three of those 11 matches. So that means Chance Allison's looking pretty good. Um, or I'm sorry, not it's not looking good. It's looking good for Bibiani. Um, and if we look, and we pull up 2019's numbers right now, because I want to see Bib's numbers, and you know, let's see here. Bibiani through three matches, he's answering 82%. Now, like I said, Chance, he's answering 84. Is that 84? Or where did I say he's at? Uh, well, he's at 82 for his career. He's 2-2. Two and two, But this year, if you look at just their numbers, Bibiani, three matches, 82%. Chance, Allison, three matches, 84%. Now, I have... No idea who to pick in this one. I really don't. Bibbs is 3-4 in steals. Chance is only 1-1. One for one. So he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to steal. Chance, he's earning 73% of his matches. Uh, 73% of his points in his matches. Bibiani is, is earning, rather I should say, is earning 71%. So a 2% difference, which... Somewhat, without going through the matches with a fine-tooth comb, Bibbs might have gone to multiple choice just a little bit more than Chance has. Uh, it could mean that, you know, 
a two-pointer wasn't had here or there. So the little points are going to be probably the difference between Chance and Bibbs winning this match. We know that the accuracy is is can be aided by going to multiple choice, right? So let's look at round two specifically of what they've both done. Chance, so far this year, he's earned just 54% of his available points, and he's answering 67%. So he's getting about three points. He's averaging three points in, in, in his matches so far this year. Bibbs is averaging four points, has not missed a second-round question, and he's earned you know 83% of, his, 80, 83% of those points in the second round. That's not even including steals. We're not including steals here. So if Bibbs can get a favorable category that allows him to run the table, you know, Chance is going to need to get, if I'm looking at this, at this, what did I say? That was a weird kind of accent. If Chance is looking at this, he's got to get Pixar round two. Um, probably, actually. He's got probably got to get a really strong category because he's got to run that table because I think that first round is going to be bonkers. Uh, you could definitely see two perfect first rounds from the, both of them. And then, It'd be crazy to see if the match was really decided by the whoever got the bonus point right in the first round. I know Bibbs, you're watching, or I don't know if you're still in here, but no pressure, buddy. <laughs> it's it's that's gonna be that could be one of the all time matches we we see definitely in the tournament. I don't know about all time, but it's got the makings um, between between a vet and a second year player. Interesting stuff there. But Bibbs has played better in the second round thus far chance has got some work to do um you know he's only 8 of 12 on the air bibs is a perfect 12 for 12 we'll see what happens when that that's the most interesting first round matchup i think there is and i know people will point towards all oh, that kind of uh, revenge match between whitney seibel and brendan meyer i mean it's more of a storyline match and i get in and that's gonna be fun to watch but Bibbs and Chance are going to be. It's going to be the one, uh, and then close second, I think, would be Lon Harris and Paul Preston. Those are going to be pretty compelling matches, um, and they're on opposite sides of the bracket. So we'll see what what those guys can do. Um, and I think that's pretty much uh, going to do it here for this. Uh, uh, well, actually, you know what? Let me see here. Let me take a. Let me see. Let me go through just accuracy rates real quick for every player here on this 2019 bracket. So if you're watching this and you're thinking about um, figuring out your brackets, I'll just give you a quick, very, very, very close there. Okay. Let's look at Ethan Irwin. He's only he's only played two matches and he's lost them, but they've been crazy matches. He's answering in those two matches 83%. And his opponent Haley Fouch. Uh, let's see here her number here. In that one match, 78%. So it's not bad. And even in her team's uh, performances, she's been just about that level. So she's going to need something special, I think, to uh, topple Ethan Irwin. Uh, let's look at John Roca and Rachel Silvestrini. So Roca in two matches is answering 81%. Silvestrini in her one match, 63%. That's not to say Rachel couldn't win, because there have been discrepancies in 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 accuracy rates between players, especially when you look at 2017, where that player's come out on top. Now, 
could it happen here? I don't know. I mean, but history shows us that it's possible. That it's possible. And let's look at Mark Riley and Stacey Howard. Now, Riley's only played one match, and he answered 69%. Stacey Howard, she only played one singles match. I did not take into account her manager uh, bowl match. She played really well in, but she played really bad in that one singles match she had. She answered 36%. She was 5 of 14, so not good. But Riley hasn't necessarily been blown out of the water as of late either and she did beat ellis you know she has she, so she can do it whitney seibold brenda meyer um you know did whitney let's see here do i yeah whitney in that one match she was answering 63 percent, and brenda meyer 69 percent. that's a match i know a lot of people are gonna be big probably on brendan meyer he's got a lot of um a lot of hype surrounding him especially with shazam and all that but this is a match that he could very easily lose um just based on those numbers because again you look back at that 2017 kind of theme in that 16 player tournament that could be another lon harris uh paul preston won lon harris is answering where is it at here here he is 69 percent paul preston 80 percent and he outperformed lon harris that in their match and he lost could it happen here again? He comes into this match, at least for this season, with a better accuracy rate than Lon Harris, considerably, by 10%. That's a match, Lon Harris. That's another going to be another great, great match now. I don't know what's going to happen between Liz Shannon Miller's match and Janine's match and who her opponents are going to be, but those are very... Whoever they play are all very winnable, and they're going to be tight... Uh, in terms of, I think, those accuracy rates. Even Liz, Liz Shannon Miller's uh, accuracy rate, you know, she's at 66%. Past tournaments have shown you really only need to be at, like, 70 72% to have a legit shot. Could happen. Could happen. Whoever she plays. Because if she plays, uh, let's see here, Bateman, he's at... Well, he only played one match against Andrew Guy, and it was lights out. So it's not really indicative. Uh, if you look at his career as a whole, Bateman's answering 73%. Uh, Kalinowski this year in his one match, he's answered 79%. For his career, he's at 69%. So there's a big jump there in terms of season play and his career average. And then Snyder, let's see what we got here on Snyder. This is this is Snyder's first season match this year. Singles, is that right? Am I missing that? Jeez. Uh, but his career numbers. Snyder, he's seven and five, sixty nine percent. So it's going to be a tough match for. I mean, those all these matches are going to be great. Um, but if I can find, I mean, this is interesting because if it twenty seventeen. The more, the more accurate player lost more than they won. 2018, even though it was a smaller field, the more accurate player won more than they than they lost. And if 2018 is really a sign of what the league is headed towards in terms of level of play and the way the game is played, I think... That's right, Leo. Snyder did beat 
Really, I don't know why I didn't have him on my sheet. Or I just can't find it. Where is he at on here? This is a huge oversight on my part. Huge. That's... Why is he not on here? That is so bizarre. Was it? Are you sure that was the share? Take out Riley. Or is this an old version? Maybe this is an old version. Yeah, I gotta. <laughs> it's a good thing I brought this up because now I can. Is this. Yeah, maybe. Oh boy, it looks like Frank's gotta do some homework. Oh boy. Well, I think it's probably a good spot to end this because it looks like I gotta do some double checking. Um, all right, well, uh, I wanna thank you guys uh, for tuning in. And uh, maybe I'll do another one of these. I don't know, maybe next month or maybe in a couple weeks. I'm not sure. Um, like I said, this was really just kind of like a spur of the moment type of deal. And so trying to figure out what it was. I was excited that the brackets came out. Uh, that's always an exciting time. And, I, and we're going to really go deep in depth with analysis and stuff on, on a proper episode of the rundown. Um, but uh, I hope also if I do another one, I'll be way more prepared and much more accurate in terms of players that have played. I don't... This is really tripping me out that i missed a couple of matches there that aren't in boy i don't know i need some sleep all right uh take it easy guys uh thanks and see you on the rundown all right leave some comments go watch our last or listen to our last episode uh we talk about the shirewolves and all that and i think this week you know we should be covering that shirewolves match along with jared haven and chandrew and then we have obviously the Bateman Kalinowski match, so huge, huge week, huge weeks coming up in general. But uh, again, thanks for for tuning in, and uh, see you when I see you. Have you made the switch to Nix? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.